After Jesus appeared to his followers in Jerusalem, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you no fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, about a hundred yards. When they got ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> there are many remarkable things in that gospel story that we just heard, beginning with the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead. But along with that, there are once empty nets now full of large fish, and there is breakfast on the beach with a person that the disciples thought they would never see again. But the most remarkable thing for me in all of this is the fact that Jesus is once again calling Peter to follow. 
If you put yourself in Jesus' place, it's hard to imagine doing that, both before and after the resurrection. Going back to the early days of your journey together, when Peter started to question your motives and try and lead you in a completely different direction than the one you knew was God's calling, would you have stayed committed to him as your disciple? When he seemed to be on the right track, on the verge of seeing you for who you really were, and then revealed that he was totally confused about all of that, would you have told Peter that he was the rock on which you were going to build the church? And when it came to the most dangerous, demanding point of your ministry, the point where you would put everything on the line in order to remain faithful to your calling, and if you knew that Peter was going to cave in to pressure and deny that he was one of your apostles three times, would you have stooped down and washed his feet and then invited him to a feast of love and grace at the table? If Peter was nowhere in sight at the hour of your death, and if he later dismissed the news of your resurrection as an idle tale, would you have still sought him out so that you could breathe peace to him and forgiveness and again send him, commission him with others to be among the few who would carry forth your mission of peace into a hostile world. And finally, if Peter had heard those words of forgiveness, received this breath of peace, received this commission, and then gone back to doing what he used to do before he ever met you, as if he had given up, would you again go find him and say to him, here, let me help you succeed. Let me help you catch more fish than you know what to do with. And finally, would you have given him graciously three chances to undo the three times that he denied being your apostle? Three chances to profess love for you to hear the call once again to feed and nourish the people you love and to follow you in faith. I think it's clear that God's ways and God's ways that we see in Jesus are not always our ways. And God's vision is not always our vision until we are drawn into it by the love of God that we find in Jesus Christ. Peter struggled here again to see Jesus for who he truly was. But Jesus had seen Peter for who he was from the very beginning. Jesus saw his faults. Jesus saw his weaknesses. But somehow, Jesus also saw the unique gifts that Peter possessed. The God-given gifts that he had that Jesus knew could be used for good, and he never gave up on the possibility that Peter would be the one to use those gifts to courageously lead a community of people into new life together. And in the book of Acts that we're following now through Easter and into the season of Pentecost, we see the fruits of that vision, of that love, 
because Peter finally begins to do what Jesus always saw within him. And then we learn in the reading from Acts that we heard today that Jesus' vision for mission is still even bigger and broader than that. In that first reading today, it's clear that God's plan for new community does not just include Jews like Peter, but Gentiles from all corners of the world. And that again is where we see God's vision at work. If you had to choose the person in addition to Peter who would bring that broader vision, that mission into reality, would you single out a man who was doing everything in his power to thwart the movement that you started? Would you pick Saul of Tarsus, the person who cheered others on and held their coats while they stoned to death one of your beloved disciples? Even as he breathed threats and murder against your followers, would you see in Saul the gifts for apostleship that would turn the world of violence and exclusion upside down toward your grace and forgiveness and unity? Would you take a chance on Saul, meeting him as he's going to inflict suffering on others and say to him, Saul, you are the instrument that I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and rulers and before the people of Israel. Like Peter, Saul could not see Jesus for who he was. But Jesus apparently saw Saul for who he was from the very beginning. He saw his faults, he saw his weaknesses, he saw even Paul's, or Saul's violent streak. But he never gave up on the possibility that Saul could be transformed into Paul, the disciple who would break open the gospel of love and healing for the whole global community. And when we read again beyond this book of Acts, we see the fruits of that vision of God in the passionate letters that Paul wrote to the early church, letters that have had a profound influence on every community of Christians that has gathered since then. If we pay attention to these remarkable stories, I think it's hard to miss the implications for our own lives. Whether we see Jesus for who he is, these stories assure us that Jesus sees us for who we truly are. He sees our faults, of course. He sees our weaknesses, as he did with Peter and with Paul. But these stories give me hope that in the same way, Jesus never gives up on the possibility that you and I will be the disciples who will transform the world in our time, in our place, with the years that we are given here on this planet, through the words and through the deeds that we do in his name. In our faith journey gatherings this past week, we talked about how Jesus gives this vision, this way of seeing gifts to people and to communities around us, people who see us for who we really are and recognize the gifts that we have within us. As we do every time, I asked each person to tell a story about a time when 
This happened to them when someone else saw gifts in them. And I always wish that I could just have a video camera and record every person's story so that we could all uh, appreciate it because for me, it always touches me very deeply. And the thing that struck me again, I think most of all, as I heard the stories, is how those other people who had seen gifts within each storyteller had also called forth those gifts in ways that allowed them to be a blessing. People who spoke around the table who had a gift for listening told stories of how other people often would approach them to share their own struggles and their own concerns in confidence and in trust. People with the gift of patience told how others marveled at their willingness and their ability to spend a great deal of time in the process of offering help. People with gifts of compassion talked about times when others had sought them out because they knew that those gifts were present. They saw them within them and went to them in times of crisis. Those with gifts, practical gifts like planning and organizing, even if they didn't see them necessarily within themselves, others did. Family members, loved ones who looked to them at an important time to use those gifts for the sake of the family and the community. People with gifts for leadership told about times when they had been called forth to lead. In the end, the stories that I've been listening to these last weeks have been as diverse as the people who told them. And it really was a beautiful reminder that every single one of us has unique gifts that God has given us for the sake of our neighbor and for the sake of God's mission in the world. None of us are perfect, of course. We don't need to come to church even to hear that. We know that in many ways. But all of us can be powerful agents of change in our own way, even now, in this day and in this new week to come. And that is why I'm confident that Jesus still trusts us and calls us to be his followers. The best that we can do is mimic that other follower, new follower of Christ that we met in our first reading today, this reluctant yet trusting servant named Ananias. When Jesus came and chose him to be the one to go to Saul, the murderer of Jesus' followers, to bring him healing and grace. Of course, Ananias had all kinds of questions. And of course, for him, it felt like that's something that was not a task that he would ever want to do, probably feeling like he didn't have the gifts for it. And yet, his initial response became the his way of life, he simply said, here I am, Lord. And then he went, and to this person who was acting in such a violent way, he began by calling him brother. Brother Saul, I have come to bring you God's healing. May that be for us an inspiration for every person who has answered that call, given us a window into what is possible. And for every way that we have somehow had people around us who have helped us see that we can do that ourselves, that we can be a part of God's 
mission in the world, I say today and in all the days to come, thanks be to God. Amen. If you have prayer cards, just uh, hold them up and the ushers will come and collect them as we sing.